The following sermon is from Evangel Temple Student Ministries. For more information about how you can get involved, please visit etchurch.org forward slash student dash ministries. We've been on this series called Mirrors. Mirrors. And yesterday, or yesterday, last week, last week we were talking about who we are naturally who we are naturally, looking in the mirror and knowing who we are, our identity. And so we took a look at Exodus chapter 32. If you guys remember, uh, it was Israel waiting for Moses at the top of Mount Sinai. And Moses comes down and they have gathered gold earrings um, and they have melted it down, created a calf, and they began worshiping it, right? And so we 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 were confronted with the utter reality of how truly... Uh, sinful we are, and how desperate, desperately we need God in our lives, because we are just naturally um, broken. We're naturally sinful, and we need to we need to somehow get back into um, this this uh, life of righteousness. And only through Christ can we do that. And so we looked at who we are naturally this week. We're going to take a look at who we are in Christ. Uh, whether you call yourself a Christian or you don't. wherever you are on that walk, it's so important that we know, one, what it means to be a Christian, what it looks like, and how to embrace it to the fullest extent, how the Bible calls us to embrace Christianity, to be a Christ follower, to to follow the God of the Bible. And so um, whether you're interested in it or you already are a Christian, it's so important to know these facts. And so we're going to look at tonight what it means to be identified as a Christ follower and what it requires of us. That doesn't sound like really all that great. I mean, we can always focus on God's grace, God's love, God's mercy and all that stuff. And we definitely will because I think if we ever look at the gospel and miss out on God's grace and mercy, then we're missing out on um, the gospel. But I think because of that grace, because of that love, because of God's mercy, there comes from it this requirement that brings about this transformation of life, right? Because we know how great his grace is, there comes a life transformation, a life change. We hate that word change, but that's part of the gospel, right? I guess it's not necessarily the best advertisement if I'm trying to persuade people to the cross, but we see also in in the in the gospels, Jesus talks to a man, right? And he says, uh, birds uh, have nests, foxes have holes, but what? Men don't have, if you follow me, you might not have a place to lay your head. Or he even says very bluntly, and one of the most recognizable times, is when he says, if you want to follow me, you must take up your cross and follow me. And in that culture, we know how serious that was, right? That that was severe. That was a very serious requirement of being a Christ follower. But he was very blunt about it. There, when you follow Christ, when you embrace living for God, there becomes this, this change of lifestyle, this transformation of who you are and how you live because you follow God. And uh, even though it doesn't sound like great advertisement that Jesus would say, take up your cross if you want to follow me, we know if we read the rest of the Gospels, if we read the, the rest of those books, then we see that it's so worth it that you would take up your cross and follow him. Because the, 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 the relationship that we get with God because we take up that cross is so worth it, right? And I, would think, I, would, I, I believe, and I'd like to show you tonight, that Exodus 33 shows that same thing. That taking up the requirement of what it looks like to be a Christ follower is so worth it. 
and it's worth it whether you um, already decided to be a Christ follower or you haven't yet and you're considering it, I would say it is so worth it because the relationship that we have, the benefit that we have of having a relationship with the God of the universe is so worth any change in life or any struggle that we have because what we get out of it. So um, that's what we're going to look at tonight. To recap what has been happening in the context of this passage, just so you guys are on the same page with me whenever we start reading the scripture here in just a minute, um, Israel just left Egypt. Okay, They were slaves in Egypt, and they're leaving now, and they're walking to this place called Mount Sinai. Mount Sinai was this huge mountain that Moses goes up to, and he starts speaking to God. How amazing is that? He's speaking to God, and while he's doing that, Israel is sitting down there at the base of the mountain. They're waiting for Moses to return. It takes them a while, so they say, well, we don't know what happened to that Moses that led us out of Egypt, so let's start worshiping this calf. We can read all of this in Exodus chapter 32, right? This is what we talked about last week. So they start worshiping this calf. It shows the natural tendencies of who we are, sinners. And Moses comes down, and he has the tablets, the Ten Commandments. You guys know about these. And he sees the sin that they've done, and he throws the tablets down. He throws it, and it shatters the tablets. And this, in this context, was representative of breaking this covenant. Moses was talking to God, and God said, well, I will be your God and I will, I will take care of your nation. I will take care of you. And you will be holy and you will live for me. This is our covenant. This is our relationship. This is our agreement. So Moses writes the Ten Commandments on these tablets. He walks down, sees the sin, and he throws the tablets down, breaking the tablets, representing that there is no longer an agreement between God and Israel. And so now we see at the end of chapter 32 where we were left off, Israel is... Well, one, wrapped up in sin, and two, wondering what is going to happen to uh, the long-term relationship between us and God. What is going to happen? How does this affect our long-term relationship with God? And so that is where we pick up in Exodus chapter 33. If you have your Bibles, please pull them out. Exodus chapter 33, verse 1, knowing the context that we just said, that we just looked at. It says that the Lord said to Moses, depart, go from here. From Mount Sinai, you and the people whom you have brought up out of the land of Egypt, to the land of which I swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying, to your offspring I will give it. I will send an angel before you, and I will drive out the Canaanites, and the Amorites, and the Hittites, and the Perizzites, and the Hivites, I just want to make sure I say all these right, and the Jebusites, but go up to the land flowing with milk and honey, but I will not go among you. This is huge. He says, go do all these things. You will get all this of the promise. But, verse 3, I will not go with you, lest I consume you on the way, for you are a stiff-necked people. I will not go with you. Verse 4, when the people heard the disastrous word, they mourned, and no one put on his ornaments. We're going to stop there for just a minute. We're going to keep looking through the rest of the chapter, chapter 33. But let's just stop there for a minute. Anyone ever looked forward to something, really been excited for something, and it's a huge letdown, and you, you're like, this is nothing what I was hoping for? I've had this personally with um, my GoPro. Anyone have a GoPro? Yeah. 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 Um, 
I had this with my GoPro, okay? So I see these advertisements for GoPro. GoPro is this thing where you just see people do some extremely crazy stuff, jumping off mountains and just doing things that I would never do. Anyway, I'm like enticed by this. I'm like, this is so cool. I'm gonna do all these things, like knowing in the back of my mind, I'm not doing any of these things that I see, but it's so cool. I'm like, I'm buying a GoPro. And then I get a GoPro and... The coolest video I have is like strapped to my dog's collar and I can see like the life of a dog, you know, right? So I mean like, it's not cool. It's not cool at all, right? Because like requirement for a GoPro to be valuable, for a GoPro to actually be worth it, you need to videotape something extreme. Otherwise like a phone will suffice. Like a phone, I can, you know, take a picture of my dog or something. I don't know, but like the GoPro had absolutely no value for me. I was super excited for it, but then whenever that one thing, the lack of extremeness of what I had to videotape, when that one thing I didn't have wasn't there, like, there was absolutely no value in it anymore. And I was like, eh, I don't really. And so it's sitting on my desk. I never use it any. Um, I think this is, I just said that because it's kind of a funny little analogy. Um, but I think that's kind of what Israel is, is experiencing, is embracing at this moment. And I'll, and I'll explain why here in just a minute. Uh, they're, antici- they're anticipating this promise that God had for them. They're anticipating this great promise that he said, you will have this. And they're looking forward to that because it's an amazing promise. And then now we get to chapter 33 of Exodus, and it's nothing what they were looking forward to, and it loses absolutely all value. And we see in verse 4 that it says, now they mourned. God said, this is what you'll have. This is the promise that I'm going to give you that you've been looking forward to, and they're mourning. Why? Because it lost the value that they were looking forward to for so long. Well, what lost its value? I think it's important that we look at the promise in the first place. The promise was given well before Israel was a nation, well before Israel was Israel. It was given to this man named Abraham. You guys know Abraham? God goes to Abraham when his name wasn't even Abraham. Like, this promise goes way back when, he, when his name was Abram, Okay? If you guys want to go to, uh, you don't have to, Genesis chapter 17. This is where the promise really starts. Uh, Genesis 15 through 17. God goes to to Moses, to Abraham, and he says, Abram, I'm going to make you a great nation. Okay? That's part of the promise. I'm going to make you a great nation. He says, I'm going to multiply your people like the number of stars. Okay? Well, that's part of the promise. He says, I'm going to wipe out all the people all the people groups, all the inhabitants of the promised land, and I'm going to give you all that land. And your people, all your descendants, the nations that will come from you will reside in that promised land. I will make sure that that land is yours. Okay, that's part of the promise. Chapter 17, verse 7, he says, And I will be your God. And I will be your God in all of this. I will be the God that rules over you. You will be my holy people, people that are set apart from all other people groups. And I will be your God. And that is like the capstone of this promise. So now we go back to Exodus 33. And God says, I will lead you. We can can look at it again if you guys want to go to to the verses. Exodus 33, he says, go there. Go to the land which I swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying to your offspring, I will give it. I will send an angel before you. He not only says, I will give you this land, but I'm going to send a guardian angel. You can have this guardian angel. I mean, that's kind of like a nice perk thrown in there. Um, He says, I will send out, I will drive out all of these people groups, 
Check that off the list. That was part of the promise. All right. So he's getting all this stuff that's part of the promise that they've been looking forward to for so long. But then in verse 3, he says, but I won't be there with you. But I'm not going to go. I'll make sure you guys make it. I'll make sure you guys are there to the promised land. All the people will be driven out. You will have the land there, but you won't have me there. They were looking forward to something that was so great, but one thing dropped out, the one thing that really mattered, and now it lost completely all value to them. And they mourned, and they were devastated because they knew that that promise wouldn't last long. Without God, they would be uh, slaves to a whole other nation pretty soon. As soon as they get to that, that land, as soon as they're established, Another nation is going to come and they're going to conquer them. And they have no God there with them. God has abandoned them. They have no one to protect them. And they will be slaves just like they had just left back in Egypt. Right? So they know this promise isn't going to last. It's not a long-term promise. They lost everything that really matters. We see all through the Old Testament. If you look through the Old Testament, anytime Israel is separated with God, anytime that Israel... Uh, is under condemnation by God or they're being judged by God or they're wrapped up in sin, what happens? Another nation will come and make them slaves. We see this with Babylon. We see um, Assyria. They come in and they make Israel slaves because what they sinned. And so we see that any time that they're living in sin, that they're wrapped up in sin, that they don't last as a nation because their God lets them get taken over by Another nation, and so they know that this promise isn't lasting without God. When God isn't there with them, it's only a matter of time until they're slaves just like they were in Egypt. And so when he says, you're going to have all this, all this, I'll even send a guardian angel on your way there while you get there, but I'm not going to be there with you. They start mourning because they know how valuable their relationship with God is. They know what it means to be the people of God. And you can't be the people of God without God, right? And so this is so important to them. This is such a huge deal to Israel that we see in verse 6 that they decide to what? Change. That they take on the requirements of what does it really mean to be the people of God. We just talked about how there are expectations to live a certain way, to, to live for God. Whenever we see his grace, when we see his love for us, naturally will flow out that we want to live for him. We want to serve him, right? And so they see this. They realize that. We see in verse 6, we won't have it up on the screen here, but I'll just look at it with you guys. You guys can follow along if you have your devices with you. But he says in, in verse 6 that they took off all their ornaments, all their jewelry is another word that you can see in there, and they threw it off. For the rest of the way onward. It sounds, uh, maybe in some of your guys' translations, uh, from Mount Horeb on. This was another word for Mount Sinai, okay? So from that point on, from Mount Sinai on, they took off all their jewelry. Why? What's the point of throwing off all their jewelry? If you guys remember in chapter 32, how did they make the calf? They took off their jewelry, they melted it down and created a calf. Where did they get this jewelry in the first place? We see that when they left Egypt just a few chapters ago, they left Egypt... And they took all this loot, they took all, these, all this jewelry from Egypt, from their life there in Egypt, and they kept it with them. They left, 
And that was what they used to sin against God. That's what they used to begin worshiping another God. And so now, here in chapter 33, they see that God's leaving them because of their sin. They strip off all that stuff. They throw it down. They say, I don't want anything to do with it. I don't want it. God, we're... And you see this repentance. God, I'm sorry. God, we see how valuable it is, our relationship with you. We see how important it is. And we, we want to embrace the expectations, the requirements. What does it look like to be a follower of God? And so they strip off all the things that remind them or that, that are tying them back to their past life, to how they lived in Egypt. We, we know that Egypt uh, influenced them to to live uh, worshiping other gods. Egypt influenced them to do that. They're saying, I don't want anything to do with our life in Egypt. We don't want anything to do with all that. We strip all that off, God. We will leave it behind us. We're focused on you. We see it continues, verse 7 through 11. Moses builds a tent. He builds a tent and it's outside of the camp of Israel. And... What this was, you would go and you would, you would experience God. You would go and you would see God. And Moses would go, and when he would, it says that people would step out of their doorways and they would see Moses talk to God. This cloud would come down of God's presence. And when they would, they would bow and they would worship. This was the utmost way to revere God, to show reverence, to show worship to God. And it said even those people that wanted to follow God, those people that wanted to have um, an interaction with God, they would go themselves out of the camp and into the tent of meeting. See, normally we would see in the Old Testament that the, uh, the tabernacle or the tent would be in the, in the middle of the, of the camp. So it was really easy to, to just jump in the crowd like maybe some people in church today can. You can just jump in the crowd and you're just part of the congregation. You're part of the religious ceremony, but really there's no personal pursuit going on, right? You're just part of the crowd. This isn't like a new modern phenomenon, right? This is something that could even happen in the Old Testament. But the tent was outside of the camp, and so it required that anyone that really wanted a personal relationship with God, anyone that really wanted to pursue God, they would have to get up, they would have to go outside the camp, and they would have to pursue God outside the camp. It required a personal pursuit of God, and people would do that. And they would also stand by their doorway, and they would bow any time Moses ever went in there, and the cloud of God's presence would come down they would bow down. We see that there's this complete 180 flip of Israel's dedication to God. That just a chapter ago, they were worshiping some calf, <clears throat> giving praise to other gods. And now, when they're threatened with possible consequence of never being in a relationship with God again, we see that they are completely convicted. They see the importance, the value of their relationship with God, what it means to be identified as a follower of God, and they completely flip the way they're living, right? They now are personally pursuing God. Each one, they're personally revering God whenever, anytime his presence would come down, they're not bowing before it. They're throwing off everything 
that was part of their sinful past are throwing it off and now they're saying from the rest of the way onward, we are now focusing on living for you. We don't want anything to do with any of that. We see a complete change in how they're living. They went from the people that were fully sinful, fully apart from God, to now realizing how much they needed God. And they were willing to transform. They were willing to change their hearts. Change, which changing your heart naturally brings about change in behavior, right? Because what you have in your heart, what you're living for, what you desire, what you love, brings about how you live, how you act. When you love something, you act towards that thing. If you love sin, if you love something, you're going to start giving towards that. You're going to start giving your time your affections, your passions, your everything towards that sin. They changed their heart towards God and it showed through their actions. And they were willing to because they knew how valuable their life with God was. Their future, their promise was in complete jeopardy. And they knew how important that was. They would soon be just another Nation that was under the control of another one. They were slaves again, just like they were in Egypt, and they're back to the same cycle they were before. They didn't want that, and they knew how important it was. I think it's so important, if you guys have your Bibles open still, verse 12. We now see that they have changed all the how they're living and who they are and what their heart is devoted to and what they're, what they're positioned towards living for. They've changed all that. And now in verse 12... Moses goes back to God to intercede for them, to speak on behalf of them. He goes and he says, God, would you please go with us? God, would you please walk with us? God, would you please not leave us? We can read it. He says, oh, there it is. Moses said to the Lord, see, you say to me, bring up this people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. Yet you have said, I know you by name, and you have also found favor in my sight. Now, if I have found favor in your sight, please show me your ways that I may know you in order to find favor in your sight. What does that mean? If I found favor in your sight, if I really do have favor in you, please show me your ways so that I actually have favor in you. He's questioning, does God really mean that he has favor in him? Because you're saying you have favor in me. You find, you find favor in me, but yet you're not going to even walk another step with me. You're not going to help me lead these people. You're going to leave me hanging. You're not going to be with me. You say that I have favor in your sight. If, I re- if you really do, show me your ways so that I actually have favor in your sight. Show me how to live. like you. Show me how to live for you. Show me your ways. And he says, show me who you are. If you have your Bibles open and consider to, oh, jump back real quick. Consider to that this is, nation is your people. This is important. Consider to that this nation is your people. Jump to the next one. We'll see why he says that. God said to him, my presence shall go with you and I will give you rest. He says, I will give you rest. I will go with you. He spoke, speaking to Moses Then Moses said to him, if your presence does not go with us, do not lead us up from here. So God is saying, I will be with you. I will give you my presence. I will go with you. But he doesn't specify, I will go with Israel. And so he says, if you're not going to go with us, 
This is, a, this is a collective thing that don't forget these people are your nation too. Don't forget them. He says, if you're not going to go with us, don't lead us up here. For how then can it be known that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people? Is it not in your going with us that we are distinct, I and your people, from other people on the face of the earth? That you being with us makes us distinct from other people. That you being with us, you being our God, makes us different. Right? Otherwise, if we don't have you, we are just like any other nation, worshiping a calf that has absolutely no power, no ability. We're just worshiping a gold calf that we just created and threw in the fire. Without you, we are just like anybody else. We need you, God. Verse 17, the Lord said to Moses, this very thing that you've spoken, I will do for you, for you have found favor in my sight. If you're here tonight and you would say, I don't have a relationship with God, that I'm not living for God, that I wouldn't necessarily say that I believe in this, what this word says, that I'm living for God even. Maybe, maybe you have in the past, but you're saying, Today, I'm not, I'm not living for God. I have no relationship with him that's going on and on. Maybe you feel like you have no need for him, that the way you're living is perfectly fine, that all that you have that you're living for, like there's no problem. Why would you need God? Well, I would like to think maybe tonight you can relate a little bit to Israel. That they have what God promised them. You, you will have the land. You will have the nation, you will be people that will go up and you will, I will divide, I will send out all those people, all that stuff that you asked for, I will give you. But none of that mattered at all if they didn't have a relationship with God because they knew how powerful that was. So if you're here tonight and you're saying, yeah, I don't have a relationship with God, but I don't really see why I need one. I would say, Look at Israel. They had everything that they were asked for, but they knew that that promise wasn't long-term. That as long as they have God with them, they have a hope for forever. I think we have that exact same promise. That promise has never stopped. That promise has never went away. That promise is still here today. We see it all through the New Testament. We see it from the New Testament on to present. We see that God gives a promise that as long as you have me, it doesn't matter about all the other stuff. As long as you have me, as long as you have my presence, it gives value to absolutely everything. But without him, it loses all value. Because God and his promise for eternal salvation, eternal relationship with him, Israel knew that's all that mattered. Maybe you're... Uh, Maybe you are here today and you're a, you're a believer and you're like, see that, this is, this is great. I can, I can sit back, relax. This sermon isn't for me because I already chose to be a Christian. I can already, you know, I've already, I'm already living for God. I already said it. I'm a Christian. This isn't for me. I would challenge you that this really is. I think this is for every single person sitting in this room and standing up here. This is for me. Because even the nation of Israel called themselves the people of God at this time. If there was a people of God, they were the people of God, but only by name. They were only God's people nominally. That in, the, in their hearts, 
the way they were living, there was no people of God. It's so easy to say that you're a Christian, that you're living for God, but in reality, do a, do a check of your heart and the condition of how you're living and what you're dedicated to and what your passion's toward and what your heart's turned toward. And you see, actually, I need a lot of change. I need a lot of transformation. And the requirements that God has for me to live for him aren't necessarily being met. And rather, I'm choosing to worship something else and live for something else. And what I think all of us need to do is strip off all that stuff. All that stuff that makes us keep living in the sin and throw it down and say, I don't want anything to do with that anymore because I do care and I do value this long-term relationship with you, God. I want to throw all that away and I want to focus on you. I want to have a personal relationship. I want to pursue you personally. I don't want to just get in the mix of the congregation. I don't want to just be a part of the crowd, but I want to step out. I want to walk over there, and I want to do it myself. I want to worship you because you're my God. You're my personal God. You are the God that I will worship. I'm not just here to be another person. I don't want to be just another body. I don't want to just be the people of God by name. I want to be the people of God. I want to be a person of God in my heart. I think this is true for every single one of us. If you guys would, if you would stand with me. This is the amazing part of the service, my favorite part of the service. After hearing the word of God, hearing what God has to say, uh, say to us, after relating to how God has worked in miraculous ways in the past, we can read through that book all day long and see how great our God is. And now this is our opportunity to respond and to let it work on our hearts, to let it transform us, to let us change us. And like I said at the very beginning, change isn't always the comfortable thing to do, right? Change isn't always the thing that we like to do. Change is uncomfortable and undesirable. But when we see that that's what God has called us to do, is to continually transform who we are, to live more for him when you love and value a relationship with him, you're going to want to do that. You want to be the best you can for him. You want to serve him and love him the best you can. And so this, I love this part of the service. is because we, we hear God speak to our hearts. God's Holy Spirit coming down, speaking to us. And now this is our opportunity to tell him, I heard you. And now I want to respond to you. And I want to do that with you guys. I'll be in the back. This week, if anyone wants to come and pray with me, I'd love to pray with you to talk about this if you guys just want to talk about it. But I would encourage you, do not walk away from being able to respond to God and to be able to bow and to be able to worship him and to show him your reverence for him. Don't miss out on that opportunity. Would you guys worship with me? Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed the sermon. If you're not already a part of the ET family, we invite you to join us on Wednesday nights. For more information, visit etchurch.org. Thanks again for listening, and we hope to see you soon.